Well, this evening we're turning again to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18. So maybe you have a bookmark in there from this morning. Uh, I believe it's very interesting that the Lord has led us both uh, to this portion of Scripture. And I will pick up reading at verse 21. So just where the Reverend Greer finished this morning, verse 20. And we'll commence reading verse 21. And having found your place, also add my own words of welcome. And trust the Lord will bless us even as we gather around His truth. So Matthew chapter 18, and we'll read from verse 21, reading through to verse uh, 27. So let's hear the word of the living God. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. When he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. For but for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Amen. We'll end at verse 27, and we'll look to the Lord now, and let's pray the Lord will bless. Even as we gather around his word, pray the Lord will speak uh, to those who are not saved, uh, either here or watching online. Let's, let's unite in prayer. Our gracious God and loving Father, we do thank Thee for Thy presence. It's been sweet to continue, Lord, from this morning, uh, Lord, right through the day, morning worship, uh, Lord, into the afternoon prayer session, and now, Lord, to be in Thy house to sing Thy praise, these wonderful, these glorious hymns that exalt the finished work of the Lord Jesus. Lord, we come now to the preaching of Thy Word and Thy truth. We thank Thee for the Word given. We thank Thee for a message from the Lord. Lord, I look to Thee that Thou would cleanse me of my sin and that Thou would fill me with the Holy Ghost. I pray, O God, that I will come not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and power. And we pray that the Holy Ghost will do His work work that He alone can do, convicting the hearts of men and women, young people, boys and girls, even bringing their wandering thoughts, Lord, and making them captive to the Word, taking and removing distractions from us. Lord, Thou art the one who knows the hearts of all. And we pray, O God, that Thou will settle us down in Thy presence, and Thou will give help in the preaching of the Word, and that this night will be marked as a night for some soul, Lord, to close in with the offer of thy salvation. Lord, we pray that the cry of the newborn will go up. We pray, O God, that thou will bring sinners to the birth. Lord, we pray that thou will do this all in Jesus' precious and his worthy name. For this I ask, Lord, in his name. Amen. Now, I wonder, do you realize that we, that you and I, are effectively... 143,000 pounds in debt. Now, how come? Well, the UK's national debt 
it stands at 2.67 trillion pounds. And divide that by the population, and you get the figure I mentioned, or it works out to roughly 344,000 pounds per household. Now, that's a staggering statistic, and you can gauge from that that there's no sense that there'll be massive tax cuts in the future or in years to come. Now, I am no economist, and I know very little, if anything, about government borrowing, whether that's to promote growth or to sustain public services, but I do know there is no way that you and I would be able or be allowed to run our household finances like that and get away with it and not face some sort of legal consequence. It just would not be tolerated. And yet by whatever means, be that bad policy, bad government, world affairs, that is the position that the UK that we find ourselves in. In fact, this year will be the first time that national debt rises above 100% of GDP, which, if I'm right, and again, I'm no expert, means if the banks decided to collect on their debt, the UK would be in a position that they would not be able to make good on it. They would have a debt that they could not pay. Now, in God's words, sin is set forth under a variety of pictures and metaphors. Sometimes it is described as a loathsome disease, such as leprosy. Sometimes it's compared to bondage, slavery, or imprisonment. Frequently it is represented by death and compared to a rotting corpse. In places it is illustrated by uh, separation and estrangement. And in this passage we have read, sin is compared, it is compared to a debt that we owe. Now, following on the back of the Lord's instruction concerning church discipline and prayer, which we heard about this morning, Peter, he makes an inquiry about forgiveness in verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? And here Peter was asking with a backdrop of Jewish tradition whose leaders taught that you forgive three times, but when it came to the fourth, well, that's it. Peter was saying, do we go beyond, Lord? Do we do it the seventh time? Double what the rabbis teach. Well, the Lord Jesus answered him and said, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And the teaching there is we are not to limit our forgiveness. Christ uses hyperbole. We are to forgive over and over and over again, just as the Lord has been gracious and abundant in His pardoning mercy towards us. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 4, in the verse 32, he writes, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And here in verses 23 to 27, we have a parable, or at least half a parable, which illustrates the way in which God forgives sinners under the imagery of cancelling a great debt. Now, I understand that this parable is given in the context of dealing with church matters. 
It primarily is instruction for the child of God. But tonight I want to consider these verses, 23 to 27, in the gospel under the heading, Discharged from Sin's Debt. Discharged from Sin's Debt. The first thing I want you to notice this evening and to consider is the reckoning off the debt. And we have that in verses 23 and 24. Let's read them together. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. Now the Lord Jesus often liked to speak about God's kingdom in terms of parables, veiled stories from common everyday life which carried a spiritual meaning. And here he's speaking about the kingdom of heaven, the spiritual realm of grace and salvation in the hearts of his people over which he is the king. Those who have been saved, they have been uh, brought out and brought out from under the heel of Satan from the power of darkness and have been translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And we notice in this parable, this parable about the kingdom, there are really two main characters, the principal being the king. And this is the first parable in the New Testament in which God is likened to a king. This, once again, is a very simple story, one with which the people could relate. There was a certain king who had a set time to make account of his servants. Now, in the Greek word here, the Greek word for servants, it means a bond slave, but it doesn't necessarily always mean those who are in chains. Some of these servants, some of them, they had extensive freedoms and privileges, but they were always subject to a higher authority over them, and it would appear in this parable that the servants that are mentioned here is a reference to provincial governors, local rulers who served under a king in a particular area of his kingdom. It would have been their responsibility to rule for the king, to report back to the king, to collect taxes from the people and to bring them into the treasury, to bring those things that were rightfully the king's back to him. These men, these provincial rulers, they were in effect stewards of what was placed into their hands and every year they would have to come to the king at the time of accounting and render unto him what was his due. Now what does this speak of? Well, as I've said, God is the king. And when he created man, he and when he put him into Eden, he gave him dominion over the earth. Man was to be God's viceroy upon this earth, having dominion over the animals and every living creature, governing affairs in a righteous and an upright manner. God gave man many good gifts and made him assured over all his possessions, and he was to use those things to glorify God and return unto God what was due to him, namely honor and praise and love, adoration and obedience. But man, Adam took what God gave him, and Adam took what God made him, and he turned it towards selfish and sinful ends. 
And even though the whole of mankind has been plunged into the state of sin and misery, sovereign God, He still gives many good gifts, good gifts unto me and unto you. You see, all that you possess belongs to God. He gives you the gift of life. He endows you with physical and mental capacities and faculties. All the money you possess belongs to the Lord, for He is the one that has given you power to get your wealth. Every talent and potential ability has been deposited in you and on you by God Himself. In Romans chapter 1, we read that God has given to man the knowledge of himself. He has given the man the ability to understand, to reason, and to see the truth. God has also deposited unto man, he has given to man, the priceless treasure of his word through which we learn what God requires of us. And you see, you and I, we are stewards. We have a stewardship that has been committed unto us. And you and I are responsible for all those things and to use them to bring glory to God. You see, we are accountable to the King. There is coming a great day of reckoning, sinner. A day when you'll be called to give an account unto God of all those things that He has given you, that He has placed into your stewardship, your physical, your mental capacities and faculties, all your time, your talent, your abilities, all your substance and all your finance, and God will call you to account if you have used them to glorify Him. Did you use your life, your breath, your time, your talents, your faculties, your capacities to glorify Him? Or, sinner, have you used all that God has so graciously given you and used it to sin away your days to live in sin? Using the members of your body as instruments of uncleanness. Using your lips instead of to praise God to blaspheme God. Using your eyes to lust upon the filth of this world instead of dwelling upon the things of God. Using your ears to fill your mind with all the garbage of the day instead of having an ear to hear what the Spirit says unto the church. Using your money for sinful habits and accumulating wealth simply because of the greed of your heart. Sinner, you are to take account tonight before you get to the great day of reckoning. For then it will be too late. And we see here the reckoning of the debt. Look at verse 24. And when he had begun to reckon. You see it's the king that does the reckoning. It's the king that does the evaluating. It's the king that knows the affairs of your life. And that's what we see in this parable. And when he had begun to reckon. One was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. You look at how the Lord puts it here. One was brought unto him. You see, this man in the parable, he did not come voluntarily. He had to be brought, and there's a reason for this. If he had been called, this man would not have come. Why? Well, he was an embezzler. He owed 10,000 talents. 
he misappropriated those things that were entrusted to his care, and this man knew it. And I know it's not in the text, but it's implied here in this word, broad. It's a compound word, and one of the root words making up that compound word means to carry. And the imagery here is this man was brought kicking and screaming to the day of reckoning. Because he knew. He knew that there was wrong. And he knew that there it would be uncovered. And he knew there he would have to face the consequences of his life of misappropriating what God had graciously given or what the king had graciously bestowed into his hand. This man, he owed 10,000 talents. You know, that was a lot of money. How uh, How much that exactly was, we cannot say. But you know, by way of comparison, historians, they tell us that the same period in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, the total revenue collected by the Roman government from Idumea and Samaria and Judea was about 600 talents. The same levy from the region of Galilee was 300 talents. Go into the Old Testament. And when the tabernacle was being constructed and the furniture was overlaid with gold, some of it was made from gold. We read in Exodus 38 and verse 24 that 29 talents of gold was used. When the temple was constructed, 3,000 talents. When the queen of Sheba came to Solomon, she brought 120 talents of gold. But this man, he owed 10,000 talents This is an astronomical figure, a a huge amount that he embezzled, that he had wasted. You take us a little further if we do a little study in the Scripture. This phrase, 10,000, it's very interesting. Daniel 7 and verse 10. We have a vision there of the glorious second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ the great day of reckoning, and there we read a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were open. And then in Revelation 5 and verse 11, we have the corresponding, the parallel in the New Testament. And we read there, And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand, times ten thousand, and thousand of thousands. There's other notable usages of this phrase, ten thousand, in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 4 and the verse 15. 1 Corinthians 14 and the verse 19. What's the point I'm making? Well, the largest numerical term in the Greek language is the term 10,000. It's a phrase, or it's the word, murion. And so when they used that term, it was not always to be taken in a precise way where you multiply 10,000 by 10,000. Rather, it signified a quantity that was beyond numeration. And that's what we have in this parable here. This man had a debt that was basically, it was unpayable. It was not only beyond the ability to pay, but it was also beyond the ability to calculate. What does this signify? 
Well, the debt that speaks of sin, the sum of your sin is beyond comprehension. Who can number the times that you have sinned against God? Well, we are told here that we can't. And the prodigal, he had to admit that his sins were so great and so many that if stacked one upon another, they would reach up to the very heights of heaven. The psalmist David, under conviction, Psalm 40, verse 12, he says, For innumerable evils took or compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head, therefore my heart faileth. And since every sin exacts from God his righteous judgment, sinner, you are in debt to the justice of God which though you can never repay, that debt still stands against your name. And don't think that just because payment has been deferred that you will not have to make good on that debt. The day of reckoning will come. And here was this man. He owed a vast amount of money, incalculable, innumerable, is what it is, and there he was brought to the reckoning, and so will you, sinner, you'll be brought to the reckoning, where your sins will be uncovered. But secondly, we not only have the reckoning of the debt, but we have the retribution for the debt, and we have that in verse 25. Let's read that. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and his children, and all that he had and payment to be made. In this verse we have just punishment. The retribution applied and administered for the crime committed. This man didn't have the money to pay. And it would appear that there would be no recovery of this money, which implies that he wasted it all. He didn't invest it. And it gave him no return. And the punishment, severe as it might seem, was just. In those days, if you couldn't pay a debt, well, you were instantly sold as a slave. And you paid off your debt by working off what you could. Your wife became a slave. Your children became slaves. Everything that you owned was sold and turned into cash for the one to whom the debt was owed. That was not uncommon. And so the king gives the command in accordance to the law. The man was to be sold into slavery. So was his wife, his children. Everything that he had was to be sold. And though the debt was unpayable, and though it could never and would never be fully repaid, the law could be not set aside, but justice would be administered, and they would get everything they could out of that man. You notice here there's no word of complaint. Not a word of complaint. Because this man knew he was getting exactly what the law stipulated. He was getting exactly what he deserved by the decree of the king. Now again, we have to ask ourselves, what 
Does this mean? What's the parable teaching here at this point? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. This is referring to righteous punishment. It's referring to hell. You see, that's where sinners go to pay for their sin. That's where sinners go as punishment for the debt that they owe to God's justice. And verse 25 is speaking about the spiritual implication of being in debt to God and the severity of the punishment that the sinner will receive. Now, just to be clear, when we speak about hell, even though your sins are innumerable and your debt to God's justice, it cannot be calculated. That does not mean that you will not pay. It does not mean that God will set aside His law, that God will not administer righteous judgment, for He will. You can't pay. You'll never pay. And God will not set aside His law. You get that clear in your mind tonight. Sinners go to hell to atone for their sin. They are sent there so that upon them is exacted, or sorry, from them is exacted the punishment that they deserve for their wrongdoing. What are sinners doing in hell? Bar the weeping and the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. Bar all the expressions and all the evidence of the torture that they're in. What are sinners doing in hell? They're making reparation. For their sins. That's what they're doing. Reparations for the wrong that they have done by enduring unimaginable suffering. They are paying for their debt. A debt, as I said, that they could never, will never be able to pay. And that is why hell is eternal. You see, there is no way that men forever in hell could pay the debt off. But they're going to spend eternity paying for their sins anyway. The sad fact is that sinners who have spent eternities in hell, they'll be no better for the payment. The debt will still be as large than when they first began. They'll be no more fit for heaven than when they first entered hell. For hell is not reformative, it's punitive. It does not make men better. You see, the king here, he was no tyrant. He wasn't. He was a just king. How? Well, he applied the law. But he was also a merciful king to that servant, for he could have called him to the reckoning long before he did. It must have taken some time to rack up a debt of 10,000 talents. And so the king's mercy it was seen in that this man was not called long before he was. Servant had time to reform. He had time to think upon the king's mercies and the king's goodness and to consider his own doings. But no, he continued on. He was taking that which was rightfully the king's and using it and wasting it on himself. 
You know, God is no tyrant. God's just. He'll apply the law. God is merciful. He's been merciful to you, sinner. He could have called you to the reckoning long before he has. But you're spared. The old account was large. Growing larger every day. For you were always sinning and you were never trying to pay and your debt has been accumulating. God's been merciful. He's given you time to turn from your wicked ways. But if you will not, God will. He will call you to the reckoning. And He will execute His retribution. He will justly exact from you the punishment that you deserve. Severe though it might be, yet it's just. Think about these things, sinner. He's giving you time. He's been merciful to you. Think upon them now. Act upon it now. Lest in hell you remember this sermon and you realize there that you're paying for a debt that you'll never be able to write on. But forever through your suffering making reparations to the justice of God. The retribution of the debt. But thirdly, we have in this parable, this first half, the repentance over the debt. Verse 26. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Now notice two things here which evidence this man's repentance for what he has done, for accumulating this debt, for misappropriating the things that God has put into his stewardship, or the king put into his stewardship. Consider his posture. This man fell down. This man was broken. He was devastated. He knew he couldn't pay the debt because it was so great. He knew that he was going to enter punishment. He was going to lose his freedom. He knew that this would mean permanent bondage for a whole lifetime of slavery and service could not pay the debt back. He recognized here that he had no power before the king. And his falling before him was an acknowledgement of the king's superiority. This man, he doesn't make excuses. He doesn't try and wriggle out of what he has done and what's coming. He knows this is what he deserves and he knows that it's an irreversible state in which he is about to enter. And so all that he can do is fall before the king to humble himself before the king, to prostrate himself before this king and place himself into the hands of the king to do with him whatsoever he wills. See, when the Spirit of God brings a sinner into the throes of conviction over the debt of their sin, that sinner will fall down before the Lord. They'll be broken. They'll be devastated, knowing the hell that lies before them is that which they justly deserve. They realize they can never pay off the debt. It's so great an offense to a holy God. 
They realize that there's no end to their punishment. There's no escape. There's no way out. And such an individual is humble before the Lord. And that's where you need to be, sinner, tonight. Prostrate before the King, acknowledging the debt is yours, not denying it, not excusing it, but placing yourself into the hands of the King to do with you whatsoever He will. When Ezra was convicted over the great number of sins of his people and the debt that they had accumulated, he said this in Ezra 9 verse 6, O my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head and our trespasses is growing up unto the heavens. Notice Ezra's posture. He couldn't lift up his head. Just like the publican in the temple in Luke chapter 18, he wouldn't so much as lift up his eyes, but he bowed his head and he smote his breast. A wonder, sinner, have you been brought into such a position, such a posture of humility and prostration before the Lord? The fact is, you're not convicted. And your debt is growing and it doesn't bother you, and you have no means to pay, but you couldn't care less. But when the Spirit of God works upon your heart, and you see the hell that lies before you, what will you do? Will you excuse your sin then? Will you deny your sin then? Will you try to cover it up then? No, you'll fall on your face before the Lord, and you will cry to Him. Will prostrate yourself before the Lord of glory. Not only did this man fall before the king, but he worships the king. And that word literally there means to kiss the hand off. And you know, that's what a servant would do in the presence of a king. To show respect, <coughs> excuse me, and honor. And they would do that, especially when they're asking for someone and uh, something. And that brings me to my second thing that is an evidence of this man's repentance, not only his posture, but his plea. This man doesn't plead for justice, he's getting justice, he's pleading for mercy. He's pleading for mercy to the heart of the king. He says in this verse, Lord, have patience with me. Don't judge me. Have patience. Now I know he says here, I will pay all. Even though that he couldn't, but this is a highly emotional moment. But this man knew at least that the debt, it needed to be settled. Restitution needed to be made. He was convicted. You know, this is often the first response of those who are convicted and discover the debt of their sin and the debt that they owe and they see the judgment they face. They think that somehow they can make amends. They realize, well, that needs to be done. You make all these promises. All these reforms, they'll do better. All these things. They think they can make amends, but they haven't yet come to the understanding of the grace of God's forgiveness. You see, when God has a person in such a position and condition, 
on their face before Him, pleading for mercy and knowing the debt needs to be settled. God has them. He has them where they need to be if they are to be saved. That's where you need to be. If you're to be saved, sinner. Martin Luther, he wrote of this man, and I quote, Before the king drew him to account, he had no conscience, he did not feel the debt, and would have gone right along, made more debt, and cared nothing about it. But now the king reckons with him. He begins to feel the debt, so it is with us. Many do not concern themselves about sin, but go on securely, fearing not the wrath of God. Such people cannot come to the forgiveness of sin, for they do not come to realize they have sins. But now that the reckoning is held, and his Lord orders him, his wife and his children, and everything to be sold, now he feels it. So too, we feel an earnest when our sins are revealed in the heart, when the record of our debts are, is held before us. Such knowledge humbles a man, works contrition in him, so that he can come to the forgiveness of sins. May God reckon with your heart tonight, sinner. May you see the debt that you have accumulated to the justice of God. This man's repentance over his debt is seen in his posture and his plea and his submission and his admission. But finally, we see in this parable, this first half of the parable, the king's response in verse 27. And this is my last point, the release from the debt, the reckoning of the debt, the retribution for the debt. We have the repentance over the debt, and here in the last place, the release from the debt. Verse 27, Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. We notice here the king was moved with compassion. Yes, the posture was noted. And the plea was heard, that's true. But the moving cause to release this man from his unpayable debt was found within the heart of the king. It was because the king had compassion that the king did two things for this man. Firstly, he loosed him from the debt. He released him from the obligation to make the payment. He freed him from the debt discharged him from the debt, in other words. But secondly, he also not only did that, doesn't say he held a grudge or banished the man. No, it says here that he forgave the man for what he had done. Even though the debt was incurred against him, even though he was the one that was embezzled and violated and robbed, the king forgave the man, not receiving anything from him, but freely and fully forgave him. And what does that mean? It means the king incurred the debt himself. He was the one who suffered loss for it, not the man. And therein lies the gospel. This is the gospel. God, out of a heart of love, 
understand a sinner out of a heart of love is moved with tender compassion towards the sinner to release them from their debt and to forgive them of all their sin. And this he can only do if he absorbs the great cost to himself. If he suffers and not man, if he himself undertakes to pay the debt and satisfy his own justice. And that's what the Son of God came to do. He became the surety of those in spiritual debt by becoming man. And he obligated himself to pay in full the price of the sinner's redemption. And how did he settle the debt? Well, he lived a life of sinless obedience. He died an atoning death and he shed his precious blood, an offering of infinite worth, well able to pay off your debt of sin. I love the words of the children's chorus. He paid a debt. He did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song. Amazing grace the whole day long, Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. And all the hymns tonight, there was reference to the debt. Sinner, the debt, it stands against your knee. But oh, what love and tender compassion of God to discharge sinners from the debt by sending His Son to suffer loss and to pay the price. That's the good news you are to believe. You're to get to the cross, debt-ridden sinner. And then you'll be able to sing. Long ago, long ago. Yes, the old account was settled long ago. And the record's clear today. For he washed my sins away, yes, at the cross. It's at the cross the old account was settled long ago. What if God was to make good on your debt tonight? The UK, we've got ourselves in a position now. If the banks were to call in the debt, now of course they won't, because they're making on the interest, and it will collapse the economy, and whatever other implications there is in that. But if they did call in the national debt, the UK would not be able to pay it. What if God was to call in your debt tonight? Brought you to the reckoning? Would your record be clear? Has your debt been paid in full by the blood of the Lamb? Tonight it can. Come to Christ. Embrace Him. Trust in what he has done. 
That's the gospel. He incurred the loss to himself. He paid it in full. That you might be discharged from sin's debt. Let's bow in prayer. Sinner, I would urge you not to let another moment go past to accumulate more, more debt to the justice of God. You'll pay someday. Come now, while the Spirit would entreat you. And the bride, the church of Christ, would call you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray, O oh God, that you would send the Spirit to do a work of conviction. Lord, there's, there's young sinners here. Might not think their debt is great, but Lord, you'll still collect on that debt someday. Still needs to be paid for. Lord, there's young people here. And then there's older people here. Lord, they have a great debt. It stands against them. But we thank Thee for Thy love, and Thy mercy, and Thy compassion. And we thank Thee, Lord, that it's from within Thyself that Thou art moved to release sinners from the debt of their sin and to forgive them all freely and fully. This you can do because of Christ, how we love Him. We love the price that He paid in the shedding of His precious blood. And we thank Thee, O God, that we have been set at liberty. Another has undertaken to pay our debt for us. And we thank the Lord that He did that at Calvary. Lord, I pray tonight that You would work. Lord of mercy, these are solemn things. They have reckoning. They have retribution. They, when your judgment, punishment will be administered. O oh God, I pray that you will draw sinners with thy love, by thy grace, and in mercy to the Lamb. Lord, speak. Fill the inquiry room. May sinners avail of the opportunity to speak with the Reverend Greer or myself to, to ask for further counsel and instruction from the Word. O oh God, we pray that you will work tonight and sinners will be discharged from the great debt of their sin. So Lord, we thank thee as thy people. We can go home rejoicing, knowing that we're working, we're laboring, we're serving thee, not to pay off the debt, Lord. The debt's been paid. Hallelujah. But Lord, we're, we're serving Thee because we love Thee. Lord, I pray that this will rejoice the hearts of Your dear people, that the old account was settled long ago. And so now may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship and communion of the Spirit be the portion of Thy people this night and forevermore until the day break and the shadows flee away and we're gathered round the feet of the Lamb. Hear prayer. Depart 
us with thy blessing. For this we ask in the Savior's name. Amen.